Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever-pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you're having a bad day, reading the poetry of Emmeline Dickinson may not be the best idea. The Belle of Amherst, as she was known, lived a lot of her life in isolation and was believed to have suffered from severe anxiety. Her poetry is not an ode to joy, but more like an ode to truth, to the way life really is sometimes. At one point she wrote, I lived on dread. At another time she said, because I did not stop for death, death kindly stopped for me. For Dickinson, life isn't really about tidily upholding morality, but it's about mortality, death and life and life and death. This is so much a part of her psyche that she says something I almost could never have imagined. She says, I felt a funeral in my brain. Wasn't I right that this is not cheery early morning reading? She's so mortal and understands our human limitations. It's why I'm so attracted to her work. Dickinson understand, understands how fear operates. She fits right in with the Gospel of Matthew at this point. There's so much fear and anxiety at this point in the gospel as we hear about the coming of the Son of Man, judgment, famine, earthquakes, destruction of the temple, false prophets, and the plot to kill Jesus. There seems to be good reasons for the disciples to be afraid. This is why I feel sorry for that one servant, the one with the least, the one who just has, well, the one coin or talent. So much is made of the other two servants who multiply what they've been given. They double their earnings. The, the one with five coins turns it into ten. Two coins turns into four. These two servants are like the goody two-shoes in class. They've always got the right answer. They always do what pleases the teacher. I was never a big fan of this crowd, and that's why I'm drawn to the one servant with the least, the loser, the ones with odds against him, with his back against the wall. I feel bad for him. I'm rooting for him because I'm also rooting for us. He seems so much more real, so much more three-dimensional, like us. If I lift up today's scripture lesson as a mirror, we may see our own reflection in his story, a story of fear. Master, I knew that you are a hard man. You gather grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was afraid, and I hid my valuable coin in the ground. I was afraid. And I hid. Fear. I wish they were working on a vaccine for fear, to protect us all from the little fears, the little aerosols that infect our souls. 
Sadly, there are no proposed vaccines in the making. I was afraid and I hid my valuable coin in the ground. This story is not really about making money. It's about what we do with what we've been given by God and how we ourselves are stewards of the things God has entrusted to us. There's no celebration for the last servant. It's a lament, and it should cause us to lament for him and ourselves, for every buried gift in the ground. There's no growth, no development, no flourishing in his life because of fear. This is not just about our coins, our value, our talents, and our gifts that we hide. This is also, too, about the way we hide ourselves out of fear of God, or at least our notions of God and who we think God is. That master who was a hard man, the servant says, distant, removed, absent, otherwise preoccupied, a hard deity to please. But ultimately, the fear of God isn't just a spiritual matter. It affects what we think about ourselves. Let me say, there are such things as good fears. The fear of hurting another person, or the fear of jumping out of an airplane at 30,000 feet, or the fear of touching a hot stove. Not all fear is bad, but there is a kind of fear that keeps our souls small. A fear that is corrosive. A fear that if we don't bury, it will bury us and our gifts and potentials and possibilities. Fear will not only inhibit your flourishing, it will kill you. Take the worthless servant and throw him outside into the darkness. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. This is the imagery for hell, the stark imagery for hell. But for this man, this is hell on earth. The poet Dickinson, again, was right to say, while I was fearing it came, but came with less of the fear, because that fearing it so long, so long, had almost made it dear. Fear was so familiar that it became dear. We can become so used to fear that it becomes dear to us, a part of our spiritual DNA in which we nourish and nurture it in an intimate relationship. Why am I saying all of this? I'm talking about fear because our liberation from it is our freedom. And the gospel this morning, the gospel every morning, wants us to be free. For God has destined us not for wrath, read fear, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that we may live. We're in week 30-something of lockdown, and I have to say, I am looking more and more to the saints of our tradition who've learned something from the lockdown of suffering. The Desert Fathers, for example, of the fourth century, they intentionally quarantined in the desert. They lived in a society terminally infected with unfettered greed and impulse, a haunted house of false comfort and their monastic cells, they turned their monastic cells into a laboratory of silence that intended to find the cure for fear. 
In the 14th century, Julian of Norwich combated fear in the confines of her bed. The 33-year-old anchorite held the crucifix close to her swollen face and contemplated there the vaccine of divine love. Perhaps it was Emily Dickinson, though, who, who discovered how to surmount fear. You know, she spent most of her life physically distancing for the sake of her art. And perhaps no poet looked more deeply into the tomb, and perhaps no poet emerged more triumphantly from it. The most triumphant line in her poetry, even greater than hope is the thing with feathers, is a line about resurrection. Love is the fellow of the resurrection scooping up the dust and chanting, live. Scooping up the dust and chanting, live. God wants us to live. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simply that God meets us in our fear, holds us in our doubt, draws as close to us as our breath, and whispers that word of liberation into our hearts. Live. God, I fear my health, but I say you shall live. God, I fear my children are coming unraveled, but I say that you and they shall live. God, my spouse is ill, and I worry if my time comes before hers, I worry what will happen to her. You both shall live. God, I fear I can't go on, but I say to you, live. Our passage comes to us as it does every three years in the middle of stewardship season. And really, stewardship, supporting our church, is just a way to say to our community, I want you to live. Pledging is just one of God's ways, not to just to get us to support the community, but one of the ways, one of the small ways God intends to liberate you and I from fear. Because at the end of the day, fear wants you to think that you don't have enough, that you aren't enough, and that your contribution doesn't make any difference. It turns out the best antidote to fear is generosity. Last Wednesday, we said goodbye to a pillar of our community, Peter, Peter Caswell, former senior warden and leader of this parish. In the year that I knew him, I encountered someone whose primary anxiety in life was if he was being generous enough. He tilted all of us, our entire community, towards generosity. And he made some of us uncomfortable because of his generous spirit. And those of us who knew him, those of us who knew him had bigger hearts in his company. We, the practical and pragmatic ones, we, the ones who look at the numbers, were accompanied by someone who consistently and challengingly and hopefully and humbly pointed us to a God whose love could never be tallied in a ledger. We had bigger hearts in his company. And I believe that in his dying, God scoops up the dust of his life and says, live. 
Perhaps in the end, the only question that will matter is this one. Did you let my grace heal your fear? Did you let my generous heart expand your own? Did you let God's love help you bury your fear? Or did your fear bury you? Early on in COVID, I emailed several people, several of you, to get their suggestions for the quintessential New England piece of literature. I told them they weren't allowed to recommend Moby Dick or Scarlet Letter. I've been on the whale section of Moby Dick for the last like five years. The book that was most recommended to me was actually, is actually a play, Thornton Wilder's Our Town. And I'm happy to say I finished it. I finished listening to it this past week. Maybe you've read it or seen the play. Actually, I think it was performed here at St. Anne's a few years back. In the classic story, young Emily has died and returned to the town for a visit. And before she leaves again, she says some lines that are as poignant as any in all of literature. She says, goodbye, goodbye world, goodbye Grover's Corner, Mama and Papa, goodbye to clocks ticking and Mama's sunflowers and food and coffee and new iron dresses and hot baths and sleeping and waking up. Oh earth, you're too wonderful for anybody to realize you. She looks to the stage manager and asks abruptly, do any human beings ever realize life while they live it? Every, every minute? And the stage manager replies, no. The saints and the poets, maybe they do some. And Emily responds, saints and poets, who are they if not ordinary mortals like you and me? Like them, we possess the power to paint the town and transfigure the day. Like the saints and poets, we have the power to transfigure the day. We have power to let our lives be transfigured beyond the bondage of fear. The cost is steep, and the way isn't supposed to be easy. But the reward, well, that's to meet our generous and big-hearted Lord. And for God to look us right in the eye, and to see an imperfect a mortal, a vulnerable soul, but a soul that has no less tried to become a mirror of God's own generosity. To even have taken the first steps in that direction is to prompt the eternal affirmation that I'm sure Peter heard this past week. And I really hope you and I get to hear it when our time comes. Well done. Well done, good and trustworthy servant. Enter into the joy of your master.